0: And welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. As always, I am your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, joined by my estimable co-host who goes by the name of
1: Santino Maione, once again, back here for another great episode of Visionary is going to be a good one. John, what do we have for our words to live by?
0: So to kick things off, we like to supply our wonderful audience with a quote, something to keep in your back pocket. Maybe when things uh, get a little bit on the tough side, you can think about the quote and it'll help you out a bit. All right. So this one is not unfamiliar uh it's one of the more famous quotes in american history but i thought it was worthy for words to live by as it hasn't necessarily been analyzed from the perspective that our podcast likes to pride itself on so let's look at the quote the only thing we have to fear is fear itself now this was said by Franklin Delano Roosevelt on the morning of his inauguration in 1933, the first inauguration, because there were a couple. And the obvious here is to apply the quote to human beings writ large, or more broadly speaking, the country. But I thought it might be useful for us to examine the quote and contemplate the fact that FDR, stricken with polio, couldn't walk from the age of 39 onward. Tina, when you hear the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, uh, what does it invoke with you? And how does it get you sort of thinking in reference to his own life and uh, him being a representative of the disabled community?
1: Um, I think just in general, um, first the quote kind of what it makes me think of is just not, not, not being afraid to try and not being afraid to push the boundaries and kind of allowing fear to control your decision-making and kind of just control a person's life in general by constantly worrying about, Oh, like what could, what, what could the outcome be if I try to do this? Or like, if I, if I keep going, like what may happen, kind of taking that out of your mind and just understanding that the only thing that can stop me is me being afraid. And if I get rid of that sense of being afraid then I then, then I have nothing to be afraid of if that makes sense. And I think that was exemplified in FDR's life that you know he he, he pushed the boundaries a, a, as a visionary, he didn't allow himself to let to, to let fear get in his way and to let being afraid stop him. And I think that's really what comes to mind initially when first hearing the quote.
0: This is a guy, again, he was 39 when his bout with polio dramatically affected his mobility, uh, being able to walk, to stand without aid. He wasn't even 40, and this had happened to him. This is a guy who came from significant family money. Uh, He was cousins, a couple cousins removed from... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. But this is a guy who was born with an exorbitant amount of wealth. By this point, he was already an independent success. And yet, a decade later, he found himself at the podium in Washington, D.C., uttering these immortal words. Again, many people associate this quote with the American plight during the Second World War. The quote was delivered on March 4th, six weeks or so after Hitler had taken power as the chancellor in Germany. And though there's no way FDR could have known the long protracted battle that America would find itself in against the Third Reich, the quote is most often linked with that struggle, the struggle against fascism and the horrors going on across the pond in Europe. But most people don't apply it to FDR himself. He shouldn't have even been in the position that he was in, clutching the podium, telling the world not to be scared of fear. He could have been on a yacht at a country club any number of places in the world and he decided to avoid the pitfalls of personal despair and rather than sort of wallow away in the aftermath of his paralysis, he took the mantle and did the most that he could to help out the country and the world at large. But in doing so, he had to battle through the most difficult of personal circumstances now he and the folks in his orbit did their best so that he would never be photographed in the wheelchair i think there's like a handful of pictures that exist with him even in the wheelchair so think about how difficult it was for this guy to even wake up in the morning let alone have his hands on the pulse of everything that America stood for, both domestically and internationally. So beginning the show today, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself from a guy that did not allow fear to curtail his achievements in life. And uh, that's why I picked it to begin this wonderful episode of, um, of Visionaries.
1: Great selection at that as well. Um, so, we're going to move on to our next segment, Hand Prince Hall of Fame. I got to make the selection this week, and I went for somebody that I 100%, after meeting him in person and being able to be around him and experience a little bit through his eyes of what life is like, 100% this guy is a visionary, Zion Clark. Now, Zion Clark is somebody that I met uh, during Super Bowl Press Week. He is the fastest man in the world on two hands. He actually holds the Guinness uh, Guinness book, you know, or sorry, the Guinness world record for being the fastest man in the world on two hands. Zion Clark was born without legs. And I actually have it written down right here, exactly what the con- uh, the condition was called. It's uh caudal regression syndrome, which did, uh, you know, cause him to be born without legs. But let me tell you, he has not let that stop him in the slightest. Zion Clark has accomplished more than a lot of people with two legs have accomplished, if I'm being honest. And it was a treat to be able to, you know, get to be around him and experience what he's done. I'll let John kind of elaborate a little bit else on what Zion has done throughout his life. But yeah, I chose Zion for this week, Ham Prince Hall of Fame. You can, uh, you know, like John always says, picture putting his hands down in the dirt in front of the TCL Chinese Theater and enshrining or forever being enshrined into our Hamprints Hall of Fame. John, take take it away.
0: Zion Clark was born with the condition that Santino mentioned. He was put up for adoption and he actually, he lived in, I believe it was nine different foster homes in his youth. All he wanted was uh, to be adopted and to have a mother, a family, Uh, And this would happen right before or right as he was turning 18. But in high school, in spite of all the obstacles in front of him, Zion Clark tried his hand at wrestling, and he excelled in this vein. He earned a collegiate scholarship to Kent State, and now he's a published author, uh, motivational speaker, And he's made appearances on a number of podcasts that you can check out. This is a guy with an absolutely incredible story. And if you want to know more about that story, you can watch the short documentary Zion, which is available on Netflix and was the recipient of two sports Emmys. I was not familiar with his story before you suggested him for Handprints Hall of Fame but now that i've watched the documentary and i've listened to multiple podcasts on which he's appeared uh, it is quite clear that zion clark is without question a first rate visionary
1: yeah and when i was you know with him at super bowl press week kind of following him around just uh you know we were we were just trying to interview him and you know just 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 hear about his story and put it out there for the world through ability media and when I was interacting with him, kind of just, you know, getting publicity shots, uh, going with him, doing just, again, following him around the, the just, you know, radio row and just seeing everything that he has to do throughout a day. It was awesome to see him and how humble he was, despite the fact of everything he's achieved in life. And I think a big part of why he was so humble and why he was such a great person to just be around in general was the fact that he I think, new and based on what you were saying about, you know, he was in nine different foster homes throughout his youth and how he had to go through that whole phase uh, in his life. I think the fact that he had to go through that and that he now does have a family and people that love him and support him, you know, after going through that whole experience, I think that it is indicative of, of how humble he really is. Because he he knew what it was like to be in a position of, you know, ha, ha, having nobody in his corner, having to go through those hardships in life. And he really, really, really came through on the other side stronger and better than ever. And it was amazing just to be able to witness every, like just, just witness, just witness him and how he interacts with different people, how, and how he operates in his everyday life. And it was very, very inspiring to see. And he was just a cool person to be around. And I think that speaks even more to how much of a visionary he is, because you could meet people like that and they could be totally stuck up. They could have, you know, an attitude, they could be full of themselves. You can, you can name a ton of things. But he was the exact opposite cool, humble kind of guy, and he didn't have one arrogant, one you know, boastful bone in his body.
0: And we love a personal mantra that it's on his website, uh, it's in a couple of different places on his website. And when I read it, I was like, Oh, well, this guy is absolutely perfect for induction into the Hanford's Hall of Fame. So he says. You don't have to have legs in order to leave your footprint on the world. Pretty great, pretty great stuff. A lot of uh, synchronicity between what we're trying to do here and what Zion Clark is attempting to do with his own life. So Zion Clark, you are the latest inductee into our Handprints Hall of Fame. Thank you so much for your vaunted contributions.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much, Zion. Hope to have him on the show at some point, though. I am going to continue to reach out to him and hopefully, hopefully, Zion, if you're listening, probably not, but if you're listening, we hope to have you on the show as a guest for Profiles and Courage at some point throughout the history of this podcast. We'll move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage. Believe it or not, we will be interviewing Harut Markarian, who actually is, you could say, an inventor, an engineer, somebody who has dedicated now his life's work. To making the world more accessible for not only people within the disabled community, but people overall in the world, just making the world more accessible. And we're going to hear what he has to say about his work directly with people within the disabled community. All right.
0: And now we are joined by our esteemed guest. His name is Harut Markarian, a podcaster, an inventor, decidedly a visionary. So, Harut, would you tell our audience a bit about yourself and um, how you came to sort of the world of the uh, the disabled community?
2: Sure. Um, so I'm I'm an engineer. I uh, I used to work as an aerospace engineer for the good part of the last fifteen years. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, my master during my master's program in robotics, my both my thesis dissertation and my uh, one of the main projects that I was a part of had to do with uh, you know providing more independence to people with disabilities so one was a stair climbing wheelchair that was my thesis dissertation and the other one was um, a brain automated wheelchair so basically what that means is uh, when you give a when you think about thoughts, those thoughts are, are transferred to elect, with electrical signals to the motors, which then propels the wheelchair. And when I saw for the first time, when I saw the actual user of the wheelchair testing this, the, uh, this apparatus or this uh, pro- project, the wheelchair, uh, it really gave me goosebumps. It, and that was so meaningful for me. I said to myself, one day I'm gonna start a company and I'm gonna do robotics for people with disabilities to increase the quality of life of, you know, of people.
0: A phenomenal mission statement to be assured. What is sort of your history uh, with the uh, disabled community and what kind of led you to this latest chapter in, uh, in your professional and personal life?
2: Yeah, interesting question. So, um, of course my first experience was just that during my master's program right but then nothing happened i just went to work like everybody else but uh, years later uh, my grandparents due to old age became completely dependent on caregivers so and i saw not having the autonomy if you will right uh, how that how the how that impacted their their confidence level the the quality of their lives how it impacted everybody else around them, like their family members, basically, which which was me as a grandson to them, right? Um, And, you know, it was impacting everybody negatively, you know, due to old age, and then they had strokes. So they were completely dependent on caregivers. They were completely dependent on family members to perform simple tasks during their day. And that was when, you know the light bulb or the switch in my hand got triggered and said, okay, enough is enough. This is unbearable to see loved ones, you know, really um, going through so much and and seeing them suffer that way. I mean, of course, this is my personal experience with my family members, right? So I'm not generalizing it, but I, I also, this is what got me to where I am today in terms of serving this community because not everybody realizes that realize this, but 85% of people with disability are born without their disabilities. They kind of acquire it later in life. And I learned this through my research. Uh, so that was an interesting factor for me. Of course, in the case of my grandparents, they became, you know, people with disabilities due to old age or due to strokes. Um, so I, I, I saw that not a lot of things are put in place to take care of the, that population that is going through a major transition in life. And that was the point where I decided that that was then, you know, this is the, the time I start my vision of building robotics for people with disabilities. And that's the way that it happened.
0: Oh, what a terrific, terrific story there. So I'm someone who has a wealth of experience with a lot of the quote unquote aids, the visual aids that yeah. have been invented are in existence and are meant to assist people uh, with visual impairments. So, for example, I've tried out a number of pairs of glasses, um, some that have special implants embedded in them. Simply put, there have been a number of different devices um that i've attempted to incorporate into my own life to try to help uh, help me out a bit so tell our audience a bit about your device what um i mean you mentioned it a bit earlier but the device what it's meant to do um, and what it took to assemble and put it all together
2: yeah uh i'm gonna before i address that question i'm gonna kind of preface it if you will sure Uh, when i walked into the space i knew nothing about the community of people with disabilities right it was only my experience that was guiding me towards that mission but then i said to myself that i have to i have to know the community i have to know what what people want right i cannot just say hey i did this cool robotic project here we go you know Uh, see if it works for you I didn't want that person. I don't want to be that person that, you know, dictated what, you know, gadgets or products you should be using. I wanted that to come from the user itself, from the community, you know? So what I did, I spent a lot of, a lot of time meeting with people, meeting with various people with various disabilities just to figure out what kind of product I'm going to go to market with because I had zero clue. Like, I didn't know. (laughs) I mean, when I say zero clue, I literally mean it. I'm like, okay, I started a company. What product do I put out there right now, you know? Right, Um, a whole whole new world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but my endeavors in terms of the research that I've done, the people that I met, uh, it just was one, one exploration after the other. I was just exploring... Huge amount of opportunities in various places. Of course, there are a lot of good companies out there putting products, you know, that you know people are benefiting from. I'm I'm hoping, um, so I had to take that into consideration as well. But then one day, as part of my podcast, I had a guest with a spinal cord injury, and he came on to my podcast and said, "Dude, I have a problem picking things up every time I drop them on the ground, or even like let's say they have an Amazon delivery." Right. And they're going to pick it up from the front of their door. They can't because every time they reach over, bend over, you know, they're risking a fall. And, you know, because they're so vulnerable to or prone to additional injuries, they can't risk the fall. Right. They can't risk it. So he said, if we had a device that could assist me in picking things up and placing things or giving things to me, that would be great and i'm like okay that's cool that's and that's how my first product was you know came to life i named i named it grace which stands for ground robotic assistant for care enablement and all that does is eliminates I, I maybe eliminate is a big word but significantly reduces the risk of falls and you know just provides greater independence now you don't have to depend on a caregiver to pick things up You know, when you drop something, because a lot of a lot of the times these things or these the people who who need this product have uh, low dexterity. Right. So um, it will help them in retrieving those items back to the user. It will help them carry things from one place to the other. So this device is think of it a mobile robotic arm. I call it basically it's a robotic arm that moves around in your living
0: space and assist you in doing activities of daily living. So let me ask you, just as an example, Mm. for some reason, I always seem to misplace chapstick. uh, (laughs) And I go through what feels like countless uh, little things of chapstick. Mm -hmm. So let's say that I reach for it, as is usually the case, it's misplaced. Uh, I know it's on the ground, I suspect it's beneath the couch. I can't see it. Uh, is the device the type of thing that'll help retrieve that uh, that lost chapstick?
2: Absolutely. So the device is equipped with machine learning algorithms and AI. So let's say uh, you know your chapstick, uh, and you know it's also voice commanded, so it's voice activated. So if you talk to the robot and say, "Hey, Grace." Get me my chapstick, for example, right? So at that point, the robot will get activated. It will search in the room for anything that resembles a chapstick and, you know, gets it to you. And the cool thing about the robot is that it's not attached to any other device. So it's roaming around independently. It's looking for this item that you commanded it to do, and it's going to retrieve it and bring it to you. That's remarkable. Truly.
0: So for our audience, what is the status of the device? Um, How can our listeners learn more about it, inquire about its availability? Where do things stand right now with being able to access uh, the device?
2: So right now, we have a working prototype right now, and we are currently raising funds, looking for investors, you know, basically, uh, just to bring the product to the market, uh, it's going to take about nine months from the day we get funded to the day we bring the product to the market. Uh, so that's where that's where the product is today. And the more testimonials we get, the higher chances we have of uh, securing an investor and securing capital. And that's where we are right now.
0: Great, great. And I know that my co-host Santino had some questions for you. I'm going to bring him in here. And um, yeah, Santino.
1: Yeah. So first off, just sitting here listening to you guys kind of go back and forth. It's honestly incredible that you took something that you learned at school, something you were passionate about, and then reworked that and brought it in within, into the disabled community and, and used it to help others, which again is fantastic. But one of my questions really that I want, it was more of a general kind of idea that there's a lot of people, even like myself, before I began working with John on Visionaries, before I began working with Ability Media, I didn't really understand what people within the disabled community had to go through as an outsider because I wasn't privy to it uh, beforehand. As somebody who's worked directly with with people in the disabled community, you, again, you know, you're know, you an inventor, you create, uh, you know, different, d- different devices that can Uh, make life for people within the disabled community easier. What is one thing that you want to tell people, tell our listeners regarding the disabled community, people with disabilities that they may not know about? Um, I'm
2: not sure if there, I would say something that they may not know about, but what I would say is if we make our product services, basically our environment more accessible, we're benefiting everyone, not only the people with disabilities, right? So accessibility is benefiting everyone, and as I said before, um, you know, someone like me who doesn't have a physical disability at this point right now, at any point in my life, you know, I could, that thing could turn around, and I can be someone with disability, either temporary or permanent, right, so we have to think about these things, and you know, I come back to the phrase, an accessible world and is an inclusive world, and we have to make life accessible for everyone. Everyone has different capabilities. Everyone has different talents. So um, why not make things accessible for all? And what I proud myself in is the following. I want to be perceived as an individual, as a company, as someone who's partnering with the community of people with disabilities to... Come up with solutions together rather than, you know, quote unquote, fixing problems from an outside perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to fix problems. We're here to make our lives more accessible and raise our quality
1: make lives more accessible and just make things easier on everybody. Cause like you mentioned with your grandparents, I believe is what you you were saying earlier is that they weren't born with disabilities. They developed it over time in their old age. Mm -hmm. So like you said, life is unexpected. Things can happen at any time. Things can change in a snap like that. So it's very, very important. Like you're saying, accessibility is the key and you may not need it right now, but at some point you could be in the position where man, you wish there was, you know, like, like inventions that you're creating. Oh man, I wish there were things like this that I could use. Oh, I can't bend over because of so-and-so it's very, very important. And regardless of if you need it right at this moment, or if you're not within the disabled community, it's still an important thing that everybody in the world needs.
2: Absolutely. Actually, I I can give you, so I used to be a a professional basketball player back in my, uh, the, the country I'm originally from, so I had several injuries, uh, you know, broken leg, uh, you know, uh, and you know things of sort. So I was temporarily someone with a disability, you know, and I yeah. couldn't do things, additional stuff, maybe to perform the daily things, the day my daily activities. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's important to make to make our built environment more accessible for everyone. It benefits everyone. Definitely.
1: Definitely. And my, 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 my final question to you, in terms of any projects that you have going on in the future within your company, any, you know, again, like inventions that might be coming down the pipeline that you have new ideas that you're working on, anything you want to let our audience know about what's coming up in the future for you, let, let, let us know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I have, I currently have three um, ideas, uh, including Grace. Grace is one of them. The second project, uh, I really can't talk about it much yet. Uh, the second and third project, because we don't have the required, you know, IP protections and all of that. Um, even though I really don't believe in competition, I believe in innovation. But mm-hmm. the, the the world that we live in, unfortunately, requires some requires for someone to be, you know, a bit reserved when it comes to that kind of stuff. But we do have three. Um, projects that came to life the same way that Grace came to life Uh, like you know collaborating with the community of people with disabilities so it's going to be huge it's going to be very impactful and I think uh, I believe it will make a lot of it will raise the quality of everybody's lives
1: well just the fact
2: that
0: sorry Santino, go ahead
1: yeah I was just saying you know just to finish off like again it's just incredible what you're doing and the fact again you have a podcast as well where you bring people on you know, within the disabled community that they've almost been able to advise you on, hey, this is what from from our firsthand experiences, how we live, this is what could we could use. This is what we may need. So it's great that you're collaborating with them and being able to create these, uh, you know, amazing projects, amazing new technologies to help everybody and anybody. Yep,
2: absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Uh, And just uh, before we let you go here,
0: I wanted to give you the floor uh, to tell our audience uh, the name of the podcast, where they can listen to it, and also the name of your company and um, how they might be able to find out a bit more.
2: Absolutely. Uh, So the name of the podcast is Mobility and Inclusion. I also have a book. I actually wrote a book called Mobility and Inclusion. So the podcast and the book have the same name. Uh, they can, uh, you know, the book is on Amazon. The podcast is on basically every major platform, Spotify, uh, Apple, Apple uh, podcast, iHeartRadio, I and all the other major platforms that you can think of, uh, you, c- you can find, you, you should be able to find the podcast and there's on YouTube as well, of course. And the company is called uh, Mark Bottyx. Uh, and Mark Botix is spelled M-A-R-K-B-O-T-I-X. So if you go to www.markbotix.com, you can have all the information that you want about the company, about myself, about the advisors, um, and about our you know our projects and who we, who we truly are really and what who we, who we are trying to serve.
0: Oh, Haru. You are really doing the Lord's work and uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on and educating us and telling our audience a bit more about some of the things that are going on with respect to innovation. And um, you are at the forefront of inventing what we believe will be a device, various devices that'll help many, many people lead the best versions of their life. So Arut, Markarian, thanks so much for coming on and uh, having a word with us.
2: Thank you, John and Santino. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you Harut so much for coming on the show. That was an inspiring conversation and a very informative conversation. I certainly learned learned a lot from that convo. And it was just really great to hear all the work that he does for people within the disabled community and his points about not just making, you know, the world for uh, dis- people with disabilities more accessible, but for people in general, just making the world a more accessible place for all. I think that was great, John.
0: Absolutely. Without question.
1: We'll move on to our next segment, fourth segment of the show, respect and representation in the media. We're going to be looking at, I I did end up picking the movie for this week's episode. And the movie we were going to look at is See No Evil, Hear No Evil, starring Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. So the premise of this movie, you could say, is basically, you know, it's from the title See No Evil, Hear No Evil. You kind of get the gist from that. Richard Pryor plays a character who is blind and Gene Wilder plays a character who is deaf. And in the movie, they become friends and they kind of make a, 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 I guess you could say a great pair, great team. And, you know, it's what I really got the sense of from this movie is that it was a almost like a, it it was more of a a comedy than anything else. It was made in 1989 and it really, not that it was the same. And I'm going to get your opinion in a second, obviously, John, but and you can correct me if I'm wrong in saying this. It did. It was not as bad as a mo- of a movie as Mr. Magoo was, but I did get a little bit of the same kind of vibe from this movie as I did from Mr. Magoo. That was my take on it. I'm not sure exactly what you think. If I'm like kind of way off base there by saying that, but let us know what you think.
0: Understand where you're coming from. We have here another plot centered around mistaken identity there's some um malfeasance going on that needs to be sorted out and these two unwitting characters happened or happened to be involved a common refrain whether it was wait until dark yeah mr magoo don't breathe someone is in search or questing for something in the case of see no evil, hear no evil. It's a special coin that has, uh, we learn later, some really magnificent properties. And the this is a one-joke movie, unfortunately. You know what it's kind of like? Um, so we've got Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder here. Uh, it's their third pairing in... They would go on to do one more, uh, I believe called Another U that came out. But their pairing, like, I don't, um, a Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, it really is two titans, uh, one in comedy, the other eh, sort of comedy, and uh, recognizable faces that we're very happy to see. So think of it like, okay, a friend that you haven't seen in a decade comes to a party that you happen to be at, and you're so excited to see that friend, and you begin a conversation, and You you hear uh, what that person's been up to for the last 10 years, and then as the night progresses and that person continuously consumes more and more alcohol, uh, they begin to get a little bit unbearable. And then by the time the evening culminates, you are wishing that um, they'd never arrived in the first place. So at the outset, I was elated. Uh, this was one that I haven't seen before. Richard Pryor is one of my all-time favorite comedians. Gene Wilder, everybody loves, including me, from Charlie and the, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And yet it takes uh, like 25 minutes to go, oh no, oh guys, um, hmm, ah. And while researching the film, Gene Wilder turned down the script on multiple occasions saying he thought, or he was concerned about, okay, is this a story that's going to offend the disabled community? I I don't want to do it. He did ultimately, obviously, agree to do the film, uh, studying with some groups in New York for the hard of hearing. Richard Pryor actually worked with the Braille Institute in Los Angeles that I've been to uh, on plenty of occasions. And when representatives from the Braille Institute were actually in the audience to see the film. Uh, They left and disavowed their involvement with the film. So it doesn't have a wonderful reputation in the disabled community. As I mentioned, it's sort of a one joke premise. As um, they're interviewed or I guess interrogated by an office, a police officer, relatively early on in the film, and we get the, wait, you're blind, and you can't hear, and uh, we don't really ever leave that basic vantage point. We just get different variations on this, wait, you're blind, and you're deaf, and you guys are attempting to solve this crime, or blah, 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 and um, yeah, so and comparing it to Mr Magoo it's very much like that one in that it's a one joke
1: movie 100% and they and like you said they don't ever deviate from that joke and there really is no like dynamic or complex plot here it's very 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 one dimensional you focus on that the entire movie and they don't ever deviate from that and that's in in that way, it's like Mr. Magoo. And also just in my opinion, not being a very great movie and not a great watch, at least in my opinion, it's similar to Mr. Magoo as well. And I think it is for the fact that it is such a simple comedy and it is kind of at, at at some point you're like, all right, we've hit the nail on the head here. Like we've hammered it. We've hammered the nail in enough. Like we get it. We understand like the main joke is okay. One of them can't hear. One of them can't see like, Oh, we, we understand. After a while, it kind of gets it gets old almost that we again we understand what the joke is we understand what you're trying to hammer home here. So overall, I think John and I can both agree that this was not the best representation of blindness in a movie, and even just disabilities in general because we didn't just see blindness here; we also saw some uh, character portrayed uh, as being deaf. So, as a whole, not a great movie that uh, that represented. Uh, the disabled community very well. Um, Not a lot of respect exhibited here either, at least in my opinion. Another thing it makes me kind of think about is Anchorman 2 um, with the scene, again, brushing his teeth with a lobster and all that kind of stuff, that it was just kind of making fun of them. And and it it was more, you felt like you were laughing at them, not laughing with them or about another aspect of the movie, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there is one element of the film that, um, well, depending on, I guess where you stand, um, you can kind of laugh at a bit. Uh, so the film stars uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, who's obviously been heavily canceled and with extremely good cause. So Kevin Spacey plays one of the villains named uh, Kurgo or Krigo. We never really learn his ethnicity, where he's from, but he's doing this completely bizarre. Understated accent the whole time. And given what we know about Kevin Spacey, it was a little bit amusing to watch that particular performance going, oh, wow, ooh, this is going to age even more poorly than uh, American Beauty or the usual suspects. And the director here, Arthur Hiller, I just showed my wife, uh, Lisa, his greatest movie, which is Love Story. So, to go from, I mean, it's right in the title, Love Story, this tragic, mm, yeah, tragic comedy with uh, Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw that was a monumental success, to go from that to a movie as woebegone and ill conceived as See No Evil, Hear No Evil doesn't speak for embracing the, uh, The art of longevity in one's directorial career, if you will. Kind of wish he might have retired, (laughs) I guess, before this one was actually ushered in uh, to the big screen. I love Richard Pryor. I love Gene Wilder. I adore their comedic timing. Uh, Just kind of their back and forth in a movie like Stir Crazy, significantly better than this one. But yeah, see no evil, hear no evil. I don't think in good conscience uh, we can recommend this one. And their handling of blindness and um, the hard of hearing community, it's not great, <laughs> simply yeah. put. Th- it's, th- just, it's just really not
1: great. Yeah, we, we, we agree on that 100%. The movie's not great. And in terms of, again, the whole point of our segment— analyzing how it represents the disabled community did not do a good job of that either. I think we can both agree on that. I mean, how how, how many
0: times does Richard Pryor have to literally say the phrase, I'm blind, or I can't see aloud.
1: that. that, That's what I'm saying. It's, they, they drove that point home so much to the point where it's like, Oh my God, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like needles going to my eyes. Like, all right, I get it. Like we under, we understand what you're trying to deliver here with the joke. Like you said, the one, the one joke in the entire movie that they never ever steered away from. But again, we agree. It was not a great movie. We'll move on to our final segment as always. Connecting the Dots, where John is going to tell us a story about his personal experiences, about his life, and again, things that he's experienced in the world while living with blindness. So for Connecting the
0: Dots, I wanted to link a couple of different things here. We talked about ways to analyze an extraordinarily famous quote from a different perspective. You can put that basic credo into practice in your own life. I'm someone who grew up yeah, not in a religious household. Uh, I went through a period where I was a bit religious, um, but it's not something that has been a guiding force in my life. Yet, I discovered a couple months ago a, a guru named Parahansa Yogananda. The day before my wedding I took it upon myself to visit it's called the Self Realization Fellowship Lake Shrine in the Pacific Palisades. I had read about it, I had read about what a beautiful place it was and what an incredible spot to be able to meditate, take stock of everything and in general get as many good vibes going as humanly possible. So I thought, okay, well this will be a perfect spot to check out the day before my wedding, but saying all that is to cast aside the okay, well how am I going to get there? Will there be anybody on hand to maybe walk me through etc cetera, etc. Cetera. all of those completely reasonable and founded concerns. I got myself over to the lake shrine in the pacific palisades and i couldn't locate the entrance i i just couldn't find it um it's not completely obvious where you're supposed to enter and i sort of found myself walking along the road using my cane to look for openings thereby being able to enter and check out the lake shrine for myself and it just wasn't happening and I was on the verge of chalking it up to, hey, they can't all be victories. And yet on my last attempt, I walked with you know, my cane and sort of feeling around where there seemed like an opening in space. I walked up to the top of the property, uh, heard some gentlemen with what sounded like uh, weed blowers, and just took it upon myself to go um excuse me this is the the lake shrine right um do you think that one of you might be able to help me kind of get into the property and this gentleman who was there to do landscaping work on the property was there to uh, blow away the leaves and that kind of thing heard what i said and helped me find the entrance to climb down what was to be an enormous flight of uneven stairs. And even though he's not being paid by the lake shrine to be there to help folks that come looking to tour the property, uh, this is not in his job description whatsoever. He took it upon himself to help me find who i needed to find link up with devotees on the property and i was given an extremely informative tour of the property i got to sit in a reflective space for quite some time in the shadow of some of gandhi's ashes which are located on the property And it's one of the more beautiful, serene places that I've ever been to uh, in my entire life. I got the history on the property, how it came into being, the contributions of Paramahansa Yogananda, where he used to sit when he was on the property, all of that. And I was this close from dialing up an Uber Or requesting an uber and just getting out of there believing that hey they can't all be great landmark experiences and this will just be one of those failures and yet because i took it upon myself to ask help from someone whose job it was not at all to help me i received a truly wonderful memorable experience the exact thing that I was in search of on the day before my wedding. The staff, once I located them with the help of the gentleman who led me down the stairs, it was a once in a lifetime experience. uh, One that I will not soon forget. Since then, I've actually gone to a couple of other properties within the orbit of the Self-Realization Fellowship. This is uh, Eastern thought um, about empowering yourself, being open to a relationship with um, a higher power, and um, living the best version of your life that you can live. So the takeaway here is when you have a disability, particularly one of a visual nature, whether you like it or not, and... A past inductee into our Handprints Hall of Fame, Christine Ha, the woman who won MasterChef, has talked about this. You do have to get comfortable with asking for help from others. So it was on this visit to the Self Realization Lake Shrine that I decided, on a last ditch effort, to ask the folks who were there. To blow away the leaves, if they could help me out. Thankfully, they were. And this is almost a daily occurrence where I have to ask folks for help. Even though I pride myself on being as self sufficient as I can, as independent as I can, there are just certain situations where, like it or not, you're going to need the assistance of others. And you got to get comfortable with asking complete strangers. Hey, um, I'm at the right bus stop, right? This is the 240, I believe. That's what GPS told me, but I can't literally make visual confirmation that it is. So I'm at the right, I'm at the uh, 240 stop, right? This type of thing happens seriously every single day. And it's not always the easiest situation. You oftentimes feel like you're imposing or... Asking an undue amount from a complete stranger. But you know what? There are wonderful people out there, as exemplified by the gentleman at the Lake Shrine. And I just want to urge any and all of our listeners who would rather go without than to ask to reconsider that perspective. Sometimes, even though it seems unlikely, all it takes is asking someone for a bit of help to make the things that you want to have happen in life really happen.
1: Yeah, asking for help is extremely important. And I think it's just, it, it's a message that not only people within the disabled community should take, but just all of our listeners in general. Asking for help is not a bad thing. It's sometimes in life, we need help, we need help. And that is the biggest message that, we took, that you should take away from John's uh, story. And I think it's also just cool that, You know, you, you luckily, and sorry, like, yeah, you, you, you luckily just ran into somebody who was just willing to help. And he was, you know, a kind, a kind citizen willing to, you know, do something that again, like you said, he's not paid to direct people. He's not, that's not part of his job description. He wasn't hired to do that, but he took the time to say, you know what, why not, why why not help this guy? And, you know, that guy obviously being you, but it's just one of those great moments and times in your life, I'm sure that you were like, that you were grateful for somebody like him to be there to help guide you and for you to ultimately get to have that experience. And obviously, I'm sure you're glad that you did end up just asking for help because it worked out great in the end. And the, this is one of those moments you have like all our listeners to take away is that, you know, instead of just trying to leave and try to do things on your own all of the time, it is important to be self-sufficient, but every once in a while, you might need a little bit of help. And You see this, John asked for help and it worked out in the best way possible. He got to experience something that a lot of people, nobody I know has ever experienced something like that. And a lot of people probably don't. So in the future, ask for help if need be.
0: Right. Right. And just to, you know, to put a pin in it, I'm not comparing myself to FDR, obviously, 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 obviously. However, I'm watching this um, program on Showtime right now called The First Lady, where Kiefer Sutherland plays FDR. And it's so clear how helpful Eleanor truly was to everything that FDR did politically. Again, <laughs> I mentioned this this guy couldn't walk, and he led the nation, ultimately to triumph over the access powers. Without the help of Eleanor, his children and a great many others, we wouldn't have the country that we have today. So as I mentioned, FDR could have called it a day, could have gone off to a country club, sipped on Mai Tais and margaritas while playing bridge if he so desired, but he didn't do that. He asked for help and we are all left as the recipients of that extremely wise decision.
1: Definitely. That'll close out this week's episode of Visionaries. Again, Harut, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was incredible to have that conversation with you. Um, to our listeners, go follow us at our Instagram, at visionaries underscore podcast. Please reach out with a DM, anything you guys want to say to us, advice, any suggestions, anything you guys want to say. We are happy to take you know to, to take your messages. And again, thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of Visionaries. We'll see you guys next time.